where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. That's why we're here, the future of now. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, VP of Business of every operation at Voice America Radio. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Thrilled to be here, actually. And we got a show for you. But first, I have to say Restream is working, and we are live streaming on LinkedIn. So I want my guests to wave hello to all your fans on LinkedIn. Everybody say hello to LinkedIn. Hello, I take this stuff really seriously. This is a celebration, and we're live streaming on Facebook <laughs> as well. So let me start the show in a very different way. One of two, one of my guests knows what I'm going to do. The, the one who it's about doesn't know, so I'm going to surprise him. <laughs> and then I'll have them introduce themselves. So listen up. It wasn't a dark and stormy night. There was a car off to the side of a very, very highly secured building. And in the car was a man who says his name is Chris. We don't know if that's true. And another guy was with him, and he said, his name is Ryan. We don't know if that's true either. They were on a mission. They were going to scale a fence. Oh my goodness. There were armed guards. There were dogs. It was an electric fence. It was dark. They were miles from civilization. The gully was very steep. Would they get over the fence? Would they be found? Would they be shot? And one of my guests, Chris Hagnegi, knows that that's the opening of his book. And we'll talk about this in a second. How were they going to do this? Well, they were smart in a very interesting way. They had used techniques called social engineering, commonly known as human hacking, to find out what the experience would be to figure out where the best place was to scale that fence, what the best time was, where the guards were going to be on patrol, what weapons might be awaiting them on the other side, what to feed the dogs when they met them on the other side. They knew all of this because they had been extremely interesting, nice, and a little bit coercive to people on the inside of the company who thought they were world-class secure and they had a lot of information at their disposal. That night and another night soon after, they were able to actually get into the building, walk around, take pictures, test out systems that were supposed to also be controlling security, and they were actually hired to see if they could break into one of the world's most secure facilities. Chris is real, Ryan is real, but we still don't know the name of the facility. It's top secret, so you're all sworn to secrecy. I am so happy to have uh, my guests here today. We are talking about social engineering, human hacking. I had a long introduction prepared, but the opening to your book, Chris Hadnegi, is so wonderful. It reads like a mystery novel. Uh, when when your publisher sent it to me a couple months ago, I said, this is a really cool book. And then you get serious into it. So let me go around the table, have my guests. We have one newcomer. We did part one a couple months ago. Let's go around the table and have everybody introduce yourselves. Please tell the audience who you are, a little bit about what you do, and What's your passion for, do you prefer to call it human hacking, the messy side of people, or social engineering, the scientific side of people? Chris, welcome back. I'm going to put you on speaker view so everybody can remember who you are. And Chris, thank you for, without your permission, letting me use the opening of your book. (laughs) Chris, how did I do? I think you should do voiceovers for my whole life. I, I think like, like, you know, like when I enter a room, you should be, there should be like a, a recording of you. Here's Chris Hattie, because you made me sound really cool. 
I, well, you are cool, and I'd be happy to do that. We'll talk about a business arrangement. Okay, because that, so that's, that's really cool. awesome. I mean, I might have a big head after a week, though, because, I mean, walking into a place with that kind of an introduction. But remember, it was not a dark and stormy night. I'm about to write a novel one of these years, and it's going to start with it was not a dark and stormy night. There you go. Chris, I'm putting you on speaker view. Help me out here. Go ahead. So I am Chris Hadnagy, the CEO of Social Engineer LLC and Innocent Lives Foundation. Um, what's my passion? Well, I don't know. I love the science of social engineering, since you put it that way. Uh, but I also love human hacking. I love understanding people and how they communicate and how we can use uh, those different areas of communication to influence people for a positive way. So that's what I'm here to talk about, how we can all do that. Thank you very much. For good, for good, for good. The title of the show is The Future of Social Engineering, Be the Good Human Hacker, Part 2. Let's go around the table. We're going to introduce our newcomer right now. She is Shelby Dacko. Shelby, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please go ahead. Tell us who you are, what you do. And I think you know somebody in this group really well, but that can remain (laughs) a secret between us. Shelby, welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm a human risk analyst for Social Engineer LLC, and I have a specialty in vishing. So I actually came from a background of interpreting sign language. And my, I guess my passion would be communication and how we can use that to our advantage to influence people to do things that are may or may not be in their best interest, right, for the purpose of, of our job and how that can underlie everything that we do. And it overlaps quite a bit with sign language to vishing. And that connection is really interesting to me. Um, It it all comes back to the the science of it behind social engineering and these techniques. So that's where I've found my passion and what I'm interested in. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. And I will do a shout out. You are taking the seat that was formerly occupied on part one by Maxie Reynolds, who has a family challenge this week. And Shelby, you were kind enough and gracious enough to accept Chris's invitation to join us and to step in almost at the last minute. And I am very honored that you're taking your time to join us. So Shelby, thank you very much. And now let's go to somebody Shelby knows particularly well. And it looks like it could be Shane McCombs. Shane, I'm putting you up on speaker view. Refresh the audience's memory. What do you do and who are you? Welcome, Shane. Welcome. Thank you very, very much. So, yeah, I I could know her just a little bit. Well, (laughs) we may discuss that or we may not. Um, I have the honor of being the COO for the Innocent Lives Foundation. I've been in this industry, bits and pieces of it for over the past 25 years. Um, I've done everything from the boring stuff, from project management, to more fun stuff, customer relationship. And uh, my passion has to do with getting child predators off the street uh, to protect our kids. And uh, you asked the question, though, which way do you prefer? Is it social engineering or human hacking? Frankly, it depends on who I'm talking to. So depending on the audience is, is the way that I'm going to go ahead and shape that conversation for them. Very, very interesting. So for today, for this show, Shane, Are you calling it social engineering or human hacking? What do you think my audience on LinkedIn and Facebook, what would they be more comfortable or be more tuned into? Which title would you like us to use? Well, since uh, the two previous guests, Chris and Shelby, have already said that they're preferring social engineering, I'm going to call it human hacking. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> My kind of guy. Okay, now that means Ryan McDougal has to break the tie. Okay, Ryan McDougal, welcome back. And by the way, that's the Ryan who was in the car with Chris at the unnamed <laughs> facility in the book where they really were telling their real names, I think, unless they were portraying actors. I don't know. Ryan McDougal, welcome back. Nice to see you. I'm putting you on speaker view. Refresh the audience, please. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? Ryan. Oh, thanks for having me, Bonnie. Uh, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Social Engineer uh, LLC, and I just, I use social engineering throughout my life to kind of open my world. I'm a very deep introvert by nature, so it was using these techniques uh, helped me just kind of see the world in a different way and interact with people in a way that I never thought was possible. So that's why, I, that's where my passion comes from is kind of opening other people's worlds to these, to these techniques. Interesting. And do you think, uh, let me just ask this to Ryan and then around the table. Do you think when people hear, oh, we're going to read Chris's book and we're going to listen to this radio show, this live stream broadcast, and we're going to learn how to be human hackers and we're going to be doing good for the world and we're going to, but we could also become spies and people who get into secret places and learn all kinds of information. Do you think that people see that <laughs> some excitement in the, I'll say, subversive side of the topic? Ryan, first, then we'll go around the table. What do, what do you think the, the, the cachet is of the title? Uh, I, I think it's a, a, a title that draws people in and gets them interested, but what they're going to learn is how to interact with people regardless of situation. So it's, you know, not everything is a spy novel. It's, you're going to be able to interact with your family better. You're going to interact with your friends better. It's all these things that, all these techniques are not groundbreaking. And yes, we use them in ways that, that, test the clients that we're, that we're working with to see if they're susceptible to these techniques when malicious actors use them, but they're just as easily used with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family. Thank you. Chris, I want you to weigh in on this. And by the way, Chris, we could use this to get better seats at a concert <laughs> and get into <laughs> restaurants where we are not. Dr. Jones, I've had a reservation for three years. Of course, you're going to let me into the best table. And I've never seen you before. Oh, I'm Dr. Jones. You know me. So they can be used for advantages, can't they, Chris? Tell us a little more, please. They can. You know, I think of this as like any tool. So, you know, a hammer manufacturer makes a hammer and Someone can buy it and build a house or someone can commit a murder. Uh, it really depends on the person that, that buys the tool, right? So I think these are the same. You can learn how to influence people using communication and you can use it in a negative way um, and, and manipulate people and hurt them and take things from them. Or you can use it in a positive way and like you said, get things that you want out of life without harming other people. So I think there, there's, there's two sides of the same coin and, and it just depends on your intention and how you use the skills. Okay, Shelby, let's get your take on this. Do you think people are attracted because they think they can become spies and write their novel based on, I know how to do human hacking. That's what my characters are going to do. Shelby, what's your thought on that? Well, so for me, I mean, that was kind of the hook, right? It's what made me go, oh, I really want to, I really want to do this. And then when I, I heard all those stories, as a matter of fact, the story that you used in your introduction was one of the first stories that I ever heard Chris tell. And I was sitting at dinner. I was just like, what? Huh? I want to do that. And I don't know if, uh, if maybe something's messed up in my mind a little bit if that's, you know, a situation I want to be in. But it got me interested, right? And once I started hearing more about it and the science behind it, and as Ryan and Chris said, how you can use it in everyday life, that's what kept me motivated uh, to continue learning about it. 
Thank you very much. Shane, weigh in on this. What do you think? Is it sexy to say, I know how to do human hacking. I'm going to get everything I want in life. I'm going to be great. Or is it something that's going to take a little more depth and to understand the value and use it well? We're talking about the good human hacker. Shane, what do you think? Yeah, of course it's a hook. I mean, if we're, if we're just being completely honest, uh, we tend to look out for ourselves. It doesn't feel good to say out loud, but we do. That's part of being human. And so, uh, when people first hear about this and they understand what it is, a lot of times they're really attracted to it and they're like, oh, I want to learn more. The key, though, is understanding how you actually apply it in real life in everyday situations. And I think you're probably, as we get into some of our predictions, you're likely going to see that, yeah, you know, what you read in the introduction is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. It goes so much deeper and there's so much application for everyone. But yes, it's a hook. Thank you very much. And, and I'm just thinking that when you, you get a lot of advice on Twitter, probably Instagram, Pinterest, I, I used to be on Twitter a lot. Now LinkedIn is my, my social hangout, but you used to hear, oh, these are hacks. You can, these are kitchen hacks. These are work life balance hacks. These are TV watching, binge watching hacks. And we think of a hack as a way of a work around. Isn't that right, Chris? It's in the vernacular. A hack is something that somebody teaches you to do that's a trick or a workaround or a way to get something done that you either weren't aware of or didn't know how to do or both. I think I said the same thing twice in different ways. So just quickly, is is the connotation of, of course, we know a hacker. It's some guy sitting in a basement and he's, you know, he's, he's yeah, we know, you know. Okay. So Ryan's in a basement. It's very pretty. I like the blue background. It's it could be in the ocean. Uh, Chris, is is hack is a hack a bad word? Because as I said, we think of a hack of you learn, right, Shelby? You learn you, oh, I'm gonna teach you a hack for writing your novel in 13 days instead of 13 years. I'm gonna teach you a hack for saving the crumbs off of the bread crust that your family didn't need and feeding a hundred birds and being a member of the Audubon Society in 24 hours. I'm making this up. <laughs> Chris, help me. Is hack a bad word? Yeah, that, that was a good makeup, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when if we go back into this, I know it's like a history thing. Back in the 1960s, the word hack or hacking started at MIT, and it was geared around the idea of someone who wanted to understand how technology worked and then alter its use. <clears throat> so the original term for hackers wasn't something that was negative. It was a very positive connotation. And now you jump forward, you know, these 40, 50, whatever, 60 years into the future and hacker because of media has become that hoodie wearing thug sitting in a basement, stealing your credit cards or your nude photos and embarrassing you. But the, to us in the community of hackers, it still means it still can mean something positive. Right. And again, I think it comes back to the same thing as social engineering. It depends on how you use it. Like I consider myself a hacker because I wanted to understand how humans worked so I can learn how to influence them, both in my job, but also in everyday life. And that is considered human hacking. But I could use that for really bad things. No, I won't, but I could. So I think nowadays, hacker has changed that it could be good or it could be bad. But because of media, a lot of times we automatically go to that negative side of what hacking is portrayed as. Thank you. And I want to tell our audience who's watching that Chris's book is over his right shoulder, which is on our left. And what? that's oh, marketing. What? I didn't it's, even notice. I mean, Chris, this thing right here. I, I, what? Okay, Chris. All right. Oh. You got your, you got your 15 <laughs> seconds. Listen, I have a, another question for you. We, 
I come from a background of psychology. I have actually uh-huh. a bachelor's degree in psychology, which I never used because I became a computer programmer analyst. I'm an early woman in tech, Shelby. I was doing it before, <laughs> way before you were even born. I didn't say that. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, I'm sure of that. The point is psychology. You say, oh, you have to understand the psychology of people to understand their mindset, walk a mile in their shoes. You have to be empathetic. I know empathy is part of what you get if you learn human hacking. So Chris, is, is human hacking another word for understanding psychology of what makes people tick and what makes them think and how they they put their worldview together and how they relate to people is so is psychology the same thing as human hacking sort well, of? I'm going to say it's part of it right because it's okay. not all psychology there's also things like nonverbals and then there's mm-hmm. things that are art more art than science like rapport um, you know, understanding how you can build trust with someone may not be in deep in psychology it may be more in just societal rules um, understanding cultural differences, right? Understanding, uh, well, I like to say RSVP, our rhythm, speed, volume, pitch. Mm. These things can all alter someone's um, re- feelings about you and the way that their brains release chemicals that make them either like you or dislike you. So it's not all about psychology, but I would say psychology is one of the biggest puzzle pieces in human hacking, but there's other pieces that make it a whole a whole picture. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging and respecting my question. It just is just popping up here. I'm going to get to the part of the show that everybody's expecting, which is the quotes. Now to my audience, if you're new to technology revolution or any of my game changers radio shows, I asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie, from a song, from a TV show character. We don't do quotes from the standard from Churchill or Mark Twain or Edison or Darwin or Maya Angelou or Gandhi. We don't do those. Everybody's heard those. So I'm interested in a quote from each of my guests and I'm going to read a quote from each of them. They sent, they selected with a little bit of background and the quote has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. So it's not about hacking. It's not about psychology, I don't think. And they're going to relate it to the topic in their own words. So we get to hear a little more of their personality. Do they speak and think poetically, prosaically, philosophically. There's three new P's we can talk about. (laughs) Okay, so let's see. Chris has sent us a quote from You Can't Stop Progress, the album from Beale Street to Oblivion, 2007, Neil Fallon, the lead singer of Clutch. Now, this is completely foreign information to me, Mr. Chris Hadnagy. I had no idea. So let me just read a drop here. Clutch. I didn't even throw something in a car and I don't drive a stick, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Clutch is an American. <laughs> yeah, the guys like that one. I can't see. I have my notes in front of Shelby. Were you laughing? Yeah, she was laughing too. Okay, yeah. here we go. Clutch is an American rock band from Germantown, Maryland. Since its formation in 1991, do you realize how many years ago that is? 21 and 30. Three zero years ago, the band lineup has included Tim Salt, lead guitar, Dan Maines, bass, Jean-Paul Gastet, or Gaster, drums, and Neil Fallon, vocals, rhythm guitar, and keyboard. They've released 12 studio albums. Where have been I? Where have they been all my life? I don't know. And several rarities. I like rarities in live albums, and they've been signed to their own record label, Weathermaker. And by the way, Neil Fallon was born in 71. So there you go. Here's the quote. But sometimes it's just so hard to act like the person you were born to be. I didn't try to sing it because I don't know the melody. Chris, help me out here. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, it has a lot to do with our topic. So first of all, I want to add one more thing to Neil Fallon's, uh, the nice little um, dig you gave him there. He's also on the board of ILF. He's on the board of Innocent oh, Lives Foundation. Cool. And I saw one of their first shows in 1991 when they just started as a band. So just, you know, I've been a fan forever. Um, what does that have to do with our topic? Well, I, when you think about human hacking, sometimes it's, it's hard to change who you are. 
it's hard. You know, I mean, I remember when I first started learning all of these things, I'm a very direct communicator that can sometimes come off like a drill sergeant. And that I know, I know it's a shock. I know all of you, it's a shock. None of you have ever seen that side of me. Okay. They all everyone, work with it. They all work with Chris. Everyone here is fired. Okay. Family and friends. <laughs> not me, not me. No, not you, not you, except for Bonnie. Thank and, you. Uh, and, and changing that could be different, difficult. Um, but the motivation, right? That pro, like that, I like what I like that song is because the progress of it is if you really want to progress in life, self-awareness is more important. It's easy to look and say, well, things would be easier if Shane was different in the work. But what about looking at yourself and saying, where can I change to make the communications better? And that is not always an easy task to take on. Not at all. Yes, I think we all can do some self-reflection on that and think, yes, or I'm just going to keep on being who I am and the hell with people who like it or don't <laughs> like it. Right, Chris? We're just, just going to keep on keeping on. And just so, listen to Clutch because it will make your life better. I will. Yes. And I'm, I'm ready for that. Thank you very much for You're many welcome. reasons, including that he's on Shane McCombs' ILF board. I appreciate yeah. that. So he's not just all music. He's a good person, too. Shelly yeah. Shelby <laughs> Daco has sent us a quote from something I also didn't know about. But, <laughs> but, but the people in the cast of the show I'm about to mention are some of my favorite actors and actresses, Mine which too. is interesting, Shelby. Yes. So Shelby sent a quote from Firefly, the 2002 American space Western drama TV series set in the year 2517. The show name comes from the Firefly class of spaceship Serenity that the central characters call home. This takes place after the arrival of humans in a new star system and follows the adventures of the renegade crew of Serenity, the spaceship. So Jane, J-A-Y, is played by Adam Baldwin. And here's, I have the, the sequence of the dialogue of the quote you said, Shelby. So just give me a second here. Jane, played by Adam Baldwin, says, pretty cunning, don't you think? And Wash, who is really Hoban Wash Washburn, played by Alan Tudyk, replies, and here's the line, a man walks down the street in that hat. People know he's not afraid of anything. And Jane responds, damn straight. I watched the clip. I loved it. And by the way, Nathan Fillion is one of my favorite. He's now in a silly show called The Rookie. He was the star of Castle. He's fabulous. Gina Torres is a force of nature. Marina Baccarin, my goodness, what else can I say? Christina Hendricks is Saffron. What a cast. So I've got to watch it. So it's a, yeah, you definitely should. It's amazing. <laughs> I do. I love to binge watch. So Shelby, the quote is, man walks down the street in that hat. And I saw who the hat was made by. People know he's not afraid of anything. Tell us, what does, <laughs> what does this have to do with human hacking? Shelby, you're up. Okay, so this scene, of course, when you ask for a quote, I'm just thinking of all these Firefly quotes, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, you know, just everything. This one pops into my mind, and I can just see it so clearly because he puts this ridiculous knitted hat on that his mom had sent him, right? And everyone's trying not to laugh, and then Wash comes in with this this quote. And it just made me think, um, first off, about pretexting, right? So things that we wear, um, but not only things that we physically wear, but also how we present ourselves. So do we come in with um, maybe an authority pretext? When What do we wear to match that? Or do we come in asking for help? And then how do we present ourselves? What's our tone of voice with that? And how that can play into to our job and our role, right? And sometimes we might have to try on a role or try on something that might feel like a, a silly hat, right? Something that's not in our normal realm for us. But stepping outside of that box is usually 
where you push yourself to learn new things and can really um, increase your social engineering toolkit, so to speak. Fascinating. Shelby, would we call this somebody's brand? Changing your brand or wearing your brand. I always have some kind of red on. Well, you can tell uh, the top of my car is red. The used to be anyway. Um, and and I wear, I'm a drummer. I wear little drummer boots where I go. People stop me in the supermarket, supermarket and say, don't you look cute? Thank you very much. Love the boots. Where'd you get them? I'm not telling you. So do we, are we wearing our <laughs> brand? Is it the hat? What, what is it that should everybody be embracing this kind of a quote, Shelby? Just take me a little bit deeper because I'm fascinated with the quote you picked. Go ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that um, in the realm of social engineering as a job or what we're doing for work, right, you can't always come in with your brand, right? Because like you said, you always have something red on. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're trying to get into a building physically and you're always wearing that piece of red, that (laughs) might make someone remember you the next day from the day before. So maybe the first day you go in with your brand, but the next day you try to switch it up and vary it. So it might be outside of your comfort zone, but it could really work to your advantage. I like that. That's another reason not to get vanity plates on your car for the back (laughs) of your car, because you don't want to be the one who's remembered. Yeah, I'll know that car anywhere because it was one, two, three, better you than me or something like that. Yeah, I know that car anywhere. Yeah, we don't want that. Nobody take that. I think it's probably taken. Thank you very much. Shelby, I appreciated that. I will be watching Firefly. I'm a big fan of Nathan Fillion. I can't believe he was in a show like that. Shane McCombs, let's look at your quote. You've sent us a quote from Talking Heads. The album is Remain in Light. Fourth studio album by the American rock band Talking Heads, released on October 8th, 1980 by Sire Records, if anybody's keeping track. And uh, it was acclaimed by critics who praised its sonic experimentation, rhythmic innovations, this is so sexy, and cohesive merging of disparate genres. Who writes these reviews, (laughs) The album peaked at number 19 on the U.S. Billboard 200. That's an accomplishment. And number 21 on the UK albums chart and spawned the singles Once in a Lifetime and Houses in Motion. So here's the quote chain is selected from Talking Heads. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? I hope I did that justice. Shane, rescue me. What does this mean? So you did, you did great with it. So um, when, when he says, well, how did I get here is the way he kind of says it in the song. And the, the whole idea behind it is, is we have a tendency to, to just go along with the flow in life. And one day we wake up and we're like, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? And we do it. All, we all do it. We do it professionally. We do it in our, in our uh, personal lives. We do it in our financial lives. All these things take place. And so the most important person you can hack is yourself mm. to make yourself better. And so the reality is, this is a question we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Am I where I want to be? How did I get here? How did I end up in this position? And then to take it to the the situation to where it, it encompasses with the ILF and is simply that we don't want parents to someday go, how did I get here? And their kids have been taken advantage of or they're being groomed or something like that. So there's all these applications of this song uh, in our lives for each one of us. And it has always been one of my favorites. 
Thank you. Very, very thoughtful quote. I, I don't have any comments on that. It was very meaningful. Thank you. And I'm glad I did justice to it. Ryan is waiting patiently. Last time I told a guest, I thought he was patient. They said, how the heck do you know? I thought you'd never get to me. So Ryan, we'll just give you that pass. Ryan sent us a quote also from Clutch. Oh my, this is the Clutch show, everybody. Okay, there we go. So (laughs) here is the quote, and this is from Passive Restraints, the second EP. I think that means extended play. I I come from the era of 45 RPM records and, and 33 albums vinyl pressed yes we know record players yeah needles the whole thing the the needle on the record player kids okay second ep by the band clutch released in april 1992 on the famous heavy metal label earache records wow talk about self-awareness okay i'm sorry here is is the quote that's how some people feel when i walk in a room here is the quote efficiency is beautiful efficiency is art Ryan, you really have to help me out with that one. Talk to us, please. Yeah, so uh, so it's one of Clutch is one of those things that got Chris and I became friends very quickly because we bonded over Clutch. So it makes sense that we're both giving quotes from such a wonderful band. And Neil is amazing at writing lyrics that are just so memorable. And I got into Clutch right around 1992, 1993. So uh, when I heard that lyric, which is actually the that song is the first song on that EP. And it's the last line of the song. And when I heard it, it just struck me like lightning because it became a mantra for my whole life. Like efficiency is something I, I'm a born optimizer. Everything I look at, I want to make just a little bit better, make, make just a little bit more efficient. And there's no textbook on how to make something efficient. It always takes looking at what the situation is, how to address that particular situation, and then how to tweak it just right to make it a little bit better. And I've done that through my entire life with every situation, not just work, just, you know, how to do gardening, how to do driving a car, how to take care of my kids. Everything is just, how do I do this just a little bit better? And it's always in the back of my mind. So I've just, I've lived those lines since I heard them. I love it. Thank you very much. And thank you to all four panelists for very thoughtfully picking your quotes. It's very rare to get quotes from two of the same performers or bands in the same show. And I I know you're all friends and this is really cool, but especially thank you for the Firefly introduction, (laughs) Shelby. I appreciate that very much. So now is the part of the show where my guests have sent me a couple of predictions each, and we're going to do a, a lightning round of predictions. So here's the way it's going to work. I have a quote, pick, a prediction picked out for Chris. I'm going to do his prediction. This is part two of the topic. So new prediction number two. I've already sent it to Chris in the chat. I'm going to read it. It's just a one-liner, and it's very, very important, interesting. Chris will explain it, two to three minutes, sound bites, and then I'm going to pick one from Shelby, and I'll put it in the chat for you. But if anybody wants to make a comment about what Chris said, even though we're not doing a roundtable, agree or disagree, we're very open to comments. So don't hesitate. Don't wait till later on. So Shelby, Shane, Ryan, if you have anything to say about Chris, just raise your hand like, teacher, teacher, call me, call me. And I will tell the teacher to call you. Okay. <laughs> this is way, I just, I just messaged Chris and I said, this is just the coolest panel. And we're having way too much fun, but we are covering a very important topic. So thank you all for your, I told Shelby before the show, we don't have any sense of humor here and she's going to have a terrible time. And I can tell from her expression, that's the way it is. So yeah, very important. thank you. I just wanted you to long as truth in advertising here. So Chris, prediction number two, you sent me for this show. You say machine learning and AI to the uninitiated, that's artificial intelligence, machine learning and AI will be developed to assist in combating human-based 
crimes. Now, I don't want to get heavy into the crime side, but everybody is curious. People are curious about robotics and about robotic process automation and about machine learning and AI. And are we going to all be part of algorithms created by people who do or don't get us or understand us or like us and bias for us or against us? So when I saw machine learning and AI, I thought this would be a cool prediction to get into without getting too criminal. Chris, you're up. Talk to us. Okay, so without getting too criminal, um, I just want to talk about the two like human-based attacks that are the most prevalent, which is phishing and vishing. So vishing is mm -hmm. voice phishing. And we have seen in the last, let's say, five years, the realism of those two attacks have gone up by thousands of percent. Whereas before, it was always something like, I'm a prince in Nigeria and I have millions of dollars. Help me get it out. Now they're calling, I, I hired a sales guy two weeks ago and the day he got hired, he got an email from me saying, hey, welcome aboard. I need you to do something, right? Now, fortunately, he didn't fall for it. It wasn't from me. It, oh. it, it, was a, it was a phishing email, but it had my name on it. It had everything and he got it and said, hey, I, I'm in a meeting. I need you to take care of this. Can you, can you text me some account information here? Right now, he fortunately, he was smart enough to call me and say, hey, did you send this? Like, that's weird. We were just talking. I'm like, that's not me, man. Right. Great. So what's going to happen, uh, I feel, is that, like you said, artificial intelligence and machine learning, we have seen so many companies working on advancing this to be able to be this intermediary in between, let's say, you and me in a conversation. And it's analyzing our conversation the whole time. And it's warning me. So it won't tell me. It's not going to be like a psychic saying, oh, Bonnie's a bad person. It's going to analyze the conversation and give me little warnings that I may miss because of emotional triggering to say, hey, this conversation is going a little bit odd and maybe like a little yellow light or something. It warns me and says, hey, this is a dangerous conversation. Red, this is really dangerous. You know, something to that effect to where we are being prompted to get out of the state of emotion that generally drives us to take an action that we shouldn't take, to come back to critical thinking and realize that maybe that conversation isn't the safest. And I feel that we're heading in that direction to help us um, and technology is getting, getting there. And I believe probably in the next year or so, we're gonna start seeing some advancement in that. Thank you very much. Anybody have any comments on what Chris said? I'm going to take it that everybody likes it and agrees with it. We'll sure. go with that. Shelby, I'm moving to your prediction number three, even though we didn't do one or two yet. I think we talked a little bit about one in the opening. Let me read this. And I think this is a very interesting business perspective. Shelby says she predicts social engineering as a service is going to explode. I'm not going to read anymore because I'd rather hear it in your own words. Shelby, talk to us. Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing is social engineering. I mean, even this radio show, I think, is proof that it's becoming a more widely discussed topic. And so I think with that and with that awareness of the tactics and how it can be leveraged um, both maliciously and positively, I think that it's going to extend into the business side of it to where we're going to see um, people utilizing this, companies utilizing this, this training and companies um, like Social Engineer LLC to train their employees. Right, because um, with that awareness, it really comes, well, how do we protect against it? How do we train our employees to guard against these attacks and decrease our vulnerabilities? And the answer to that is mostly training, right? Once employees start to experience these, they start to see phishing attacks. They start to have phishing calls being made to them. Then they can really start to understand and have a better picture of how to protect themselves against it. And so I think that this is going to trickle down, become more mainstream and um, 
really, hopefully, a common practice for companies all across the board. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on to Shane's new prediction number one for part two. And this is interesting, a little bit related to what Shelby said, but a, a different approach. Shane predicts human, currently human hacking skills are used in the C-suite. He's putting quotes around it. We, everybody has a C, the CEO, the CXO, the CTO, the CMO, the CRO. They're all the chief happiness. So we have a CHO now. Okay. To help you stand out amongst your peers. But he predicts, Shane McCombs predicts in three years, human hacking skills will be a basic requirement for gaining access to the C-suite. Let's do a quick deep dive into this. Maybe that's an oxymoron, quick deep dive. But Shane, take us through this. This is very important for our listeners who, who are really part of my business audience. So go ahead, Shane. What are you thinking? So at, at the moment, if you have this tool set that we're talking about, you have a defined leg up on everyone else in your peer group. If you're able to sit across from a board table and have a discussion with someone and see what you said, even at the most basic level, made them uncomfortable, or they start to, to do some sort of, of nonverbal that is a cue to you that you're on track or you're off track or you need to rearrange, that you have a decided advantage and people take advantage of that. However, this is becoming very commonplace, this understanding as it spreads out into uh, the audience that you're going to need those fundamental skills, things that we think right now are exotic, understanding nonverbals are going to be very fundamental. And if you want to survive in the C-suite, you're going to need that base level skill. That's my prediction. Very interesting. And somebody mentioned, I think it was Chris or maybe you, uh, Shane, body language. I had a gentleman, I, I used to live in Great Neck, Long Island. I had a TV show called Something to Talk About. And I had a gentleman, I really don't remember his name, who wrote a book on microbursts and body language. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to be at the forefront of that. There were many people doing it. We're talking 15, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the idea that if you learn, everybody knows from poker, from cards, right? It's the tell. Does somebody get a little nervous? Do their handshake? Do they blink? Does one eyebrow go up a little higher at a point where they know what their hand has that you, they don't want you to know that they're about to bet on in bridge or poker or anything like that. So is, is there something, is there a component? Uh, Shane, since I just had you, I'm, I'll ask you, is, is that idea of, of reading the physical part of what the person presents, finding their tell, is that part of human hacking for good? We'll keep it at that level. Shane, yeah, well, of, yeah, go ahead. We'll definitely keep it for in the good section here. Uh, the bottom line is that we had this, this thinking, because you were talking about several years ago, that, you know, there were always these tells. There was this human lie detector thing that you mm -hmm. could do. And right. And so as, as we understand how things work, we really understand now uh, that it doesn't work that way. But we are looking for a person's baseline. What is, what is their comfort level? And then how are they changing? And so probably the easiest and simplest illustration you'll hear of this, when I first began uh, deep diving into this concept of, of human hacking, you know, this was the big thing. Oh, they're uncomfortable, right? <laughs> if someone right. crosses their arms, they're not happy with you or whatever. It's, right. you know, and so everyone took that as, well, it, it must be gospel. That's the way it works. And the reality is this just may be you being comfortable. 
or maybe you're cold. So you have to understand a baseline. You have to have some perception, and then you have to apply what you know in every single circumstance. And by the way, I think someone in this uh, conversation here actually wrote an entire book on this. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, we always see, we always see our innocence, innocent looks. I think there was a tell there by the gentleman in the blue shirt on the, my lower right. I'm not sure uh, which book could it be. I, I think Shane, I'm hearing you talk about nuances, and I love the way you say. If somebody has that, we used to be, oh, they're closed off, they're not receptive, they are hiding something, or they they're not listening to you. You're right. Maybe they're just damn cold. Maybe that's okay. And a lot of us became self conscious. But the word I wanted to use was nuances, understanding what the burst, what the, the, the physical manifestation of a thought or an emotion or something they want to hide is. And then is it a nuance of their personality, what they're trying to say or not say? And then is it just something that's a physical response? They're cold or they're bored, for goodness sake. On that note, thank you for that. Very interesting. Uh, Ryan McDougall, I'm looking at your prediction number three from part one. We never got to this, and this is interesting. A little bit on, on the same level of what we're talking about. You say social engineering training will become more of a need than a want for many organizations, which will ultimately benefit society. This is the part I want to get to by increasing the aggregate emotional intelligence quotient quotient against or across diverse sectors of business. So let's talk about emotional intelligence quotient and what that has to do with hacking. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so this is, this is the ability for someone to understand their own emotions and maybe how their emotions may affect other people's emotions. And it goes along the lines of the intelligence quotient of, you know, people's, people take IQ tests to see how smart they are. There's, there's an emotional equivalent to that to see how emotionally smart you are. If you are capable of understanding your own emotions to such a depth that then now you understand how that influences and affects other people, you can be a much better communicator. And I think the training that, that social engineering can provide to companies will, just by the nature of these employees taking these, this training within their company, is going to increase that that emotional intelligence quotient just in themselves. They'll take that home. They'll take that back to their families. They'll take that back to their general circles. And I think they just gaining that self-awareness is going to be really important and will ultimately benefit society because everyone will be just a little bit more in tune in how they're affected and how they affect other people. Thank you very much. Good first round of predictions. We've got 17 minutes left. That's, oh, not even 70, 14 minutes left. That's a lifetime on live radio and live streaming. I'm so happy we're live streaming on LinkedIn. I think everybody's going to get a real kick out of the show. So let's do a second round of predictions. We'll make them a little bit shorter, see how many we can get to. Chris Hadnegi, I'm looking at your prediction number four, which we never got to in part one. And you say some industries like travel, tourism, sightseeing, oh my, what's that, have been drastically affected in the current situation. We're talking COVID slash post-COVID. Humans always find a way to bounce back after large-scale catastrophes. That's a very polite way of talking about the pandemic. I like that. So Chris predicts over the next 12 months, we will see new methods of attracting tourists and new ways we will travel to keep those industries alive. And listen to this. Companies will utilize human hacking skills to achieve this goal. That's where I want to go. Who's going to use it? How are they going to use it? And should wannabe, would-be, hopefully-to-be travelers be aware of this, Chris. Talk to us. 
And so I'm part of like some travel groups, right? Because my family and I, we love to travel. And I've been getting emails recently with things like the top 10 safest places to go after or post, post pandemic. Oh, yeah. Right. Or I've been getting um, deals from airlines post COVID flying to Europe. So they're all using the language that we want to hear, right? So they're not saying, hey, pie, like they're not saying travel now. Because they know like telling me travel now, I'm probably not going to do it. Even though I'm fully vaccinated, I still don't feel safe yet. But saying to me, using the phrases post pandemic, 10 best places to travel that are safest, right? Or get your tickets now for post pandemic travel to Europe. Now I'm interested. So I started to look at some of these emails and look at the language they were using and seeing that a lot of it was really geared towards the same things we talk about in human hacking, using these visionary words to get you to picture yourself in these places, using words that make you feel safe, where I get some ads that are like, hey, buy your tickets now for travel. And I'm like, delete, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but the ones that say, put your mind in this position of, when you're done with COVID, when you're ready, what are the best places to go? I click on that stinking link because I'm like, oh, yeah, where should I go? Where should be the first place we go to when we're traveling as a family again? And that gets me hooked into the sites. I think we're going to see successful companies doing that more and more because tourism is going to – it's still scary, right? It's, it's scary for people. And I was just on a call yesterday with a group of people about a conference and every one of them were all vaccinated, but they all said, I'm not going to a conference right now because I'm afraid to be in a room with 20,000 people yeah. wondering who's got the shot and who doesn't and who's sick and who's not. So I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going. And, you know, that I think we're going to have to use these positive human hacking skills to get people into the comfort zone to get back out there again. Very, very well put. Very, very true. Thank you, Chris. Interesting. Let's move on. I want to do another prediction. Shelby, I pick your prediction number four. It's long, but I'm just going to read a little bit. Let's see where we go with it. You say communication profiling tools, such as DISC, D-I-S-C, and I think I remember what that is, but I'm not going to attempt it, will be used more widely. And she says the conversations around personality types and individuals Love languages, ooh, I've heard there were five of those, for example, have swelled over the last few years. Let's see what this has to do with human hacking. Shelby, take it over. Well, this one was is interesting because I've always seen and, and been slightly interested in those personality tests and the, the love languages and how that kind of uh, influences how people act or how they perceive themselves or others around them. So things like the Myers-Briggs, um, test is, is really a well-known personality test, right? And people will post them and say, oh, this is why I act this way. But um, test that profile communication, like DISC is one of them, right? And there, there are many different ones. Um, but these focus on the communication aspect rather than personality or um, the, the love language side of it, like, right? Like what you respond to. And so using this in a business setting, um, can be really useful because you're breaking down what someone tends to, how they tend to communicate, right? So what their their comfort communication style is. So right, like Chris and I are, are opposite, for example. So Chris is a very direct communicator. Um, so he likes to focus on the point, get that information out there. While I am uh, a high C Right. So I focus more on it. Give me lists. Give me details. Let me explain every little part of this. But knowing this about each other has really helped us to communicate in ways that um, make the point and 
just help us communicate more effectively with each other. And so knowing this and seeing this used within companies, um, but then also on social media, I've started seeing threads actually discussing things like this. And now it's not labeled communication profiling exactly, but it's all those little bits and pieces. So I've been on Instagram recently and I'll swipe through and it's breaking down communication. And a lot of those communications that it breaks down are focused on manipulative behaviors, right? To help people identify those behaviors and avoid them and how to protect themselves against them. And so I think that we're going to see that become a lot more widespread and that it's going to be very effective for protecting yourself against um, the people who might want to use these tactics negatively. Thank you very much. So important right now. I, I can't tell you there are days of the week where I'll get three calls about my social security being canceled or hacked or I'm going to be sent to prison. I get the your car renewal, your car registration renewal or validation or something. They come from, interestingly enough, Shelby, I know this is very tangential to what you're talking about, but I think the audience will identify with this. They use... Uh, area code on the cell phones that call me from where my, I still have a Long Island, New York area code. I'm not going to say what it is, but a lot of people will know what it is. Okay. So people, oh, where are you calling from? Well, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. No, you're not looking at your phone. So they find those area codes and that's who calls me with the names of places that were near where I used to live. They're not there. And they're probably somewhere Chris, they're in that basement. We know that somewhere <laughs> overseas. We know there's an IP that's untraceable. But anyway, I just find it fascinating. Thank you, Shelby. Very, very interesting. I want to move on. Let's go to Shane. Prediction, what I pick here? Number two. This is interesting. You say correct representation and understanding of human hacking will properly be represented in entertainment. And you say no more human lie detector type representations as the industry engages real human hackers to advise on roles and check for accuracy. So what does this mean for us watching movies and TV shows and, and roles? Will they be acting more like the character they're supposed to do? Will they do their own research? Will the human hacking person say, no, Nathan Fillion, that's not the way the head of Firefly would have acted. And Marina Baccarin, uh, you're beautiful, but you didn't quite get that nuance of that character. Shane, what's going to happen? Yeah, so if you look at the entertainment industry, I mean, they have advisors for all types of things. And so this is an area where I want to see uh, more accuracy. So, you know, you think about the whole human lie detector. We, we touched on that just a few minutes ago, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that was an easy, that was low hanging fruit for the entertainment industry to, to pick on. But yet, as we as consumers become more sophisticated and begin to understand that, oh, yeah, they blew that. That wasn't accurate. It doesn't really work that way. Then we, we have a harder and harder time suspending disbelief. We want to be involved in this entertainment and we want to, to believe that it's real. And so if they really want to step up their game and they're very serious about getting us on the hook and really feeling for these characters, they're going to have to step it up and really have advisors to help them to understand these nuances to keep us engaged. Thank you very much. And you are right. They do have all kinds of coaches on Hollywood sets now. Very interesting. You know, Shane, we hear the stories of actors when they get an award or they don't and they say, oh, 
I invested three years of my life learning how this person, if it's a biography of somebody real, uh, how they lived, how they thought, how they dressed, what they ate, how they talked, or yes, I immersed myself into this character because I know that, that Shelby Dacko in her third mesmerizing thriller novel it created this character and Shelby had me, the actress, uh, uh, I, I, let's make up an actress named uh, Mary Goldsmith. She had Mary Goldsmith in mind when she created this wonderful novel character and, and I wanted to honor so the human hacking coach would help get into the character to help Mary Goldsmith do honor to Shelby Dacko's character. Shelby, you just wrote your third mystery novel and congratulations. I hope you accept Oh, that. thank you. Yes, I'm going to um, come to you. The cover will be read. Yes, I'm doing a show on, on <laughs> women thriller novelists in a couple of weeks. We'll have to invite you on that one. Shane, aren't you proud of her? You didn't even know. I, I am. I, she surprises me every day. There you go, especially you know, to, on my... Go ahead. To, to your point, though, you have someone who who does that deep dive, right? And then they work so hard at it and then they don't deliver something that is worthy because they're missing these subtleties that they yes. could have used and just knocked it out of the park. Yes. And it's a miss. Yes. And it's not even a question of imitation. It's a question of just getting the character, being inside that character, not imitating, but being. Big difference. I'm never going to be an actress. Anyway, just talking is enough for me. Making a joke once in a while. Ron McDougal, we're going to squeeze in one more prediction. This is from part one. We used it a couple weeks ago, but I think it's very relevant. I know it is. I know Shane will appreciate this. Ryan says, parents will need to both learn and teach human hacking skills to a generation of children to overcome COVID isolation and remote learning situations. We're not getting into bad things happening to kids. We're talking about remote learning. So Shay, uh, yeah, Ryan, why don't you just quickly give us this? We've got three minutes left to wrap the show, but I want to hear this. Go ahead, Ryan. I'll do my best. So uh, kids are, a generation of kids are growing up right now where their, their social interaction has been extremely stunted. And so parents are going to have to not only learn these techniques just to be able to survive themselves, but they're going to have to teach their children these, these skills at the same time. So the kids are going to, this generation of kids is going to grow up very different from even two or even one generation before them because they have to interact very differently. And in Zoom meetings on school, they need to see if their teacher is engaged with them or if the other students understand what they're talking about. And parents are learning the same thing who are not used to being in Zoom meetings in remote learning situations. And so parents are going to be learning it at the same time that they're going to have to teach it or else these kids in this generation are just going to be so isolated. They're not going to be able to function when society comes back together. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Ryan. Yes, important for skills. And I think we've been learning literally by the seat of our Zoom-based pants for over a year. But as kids mature and grow in this new world of remote everything, there are skills they can continue to learn to be more functional because we're not giving this stuff up for a long time. I'm going to keep doing radio shows on Zoom. I did them on phone for on the phone for years and I couldn't see. I had to listen for every nuance, Chris. I had to listen for every every breath. Is he or she? Are they at the end of a sentence or a paragraph? And are they happy? Are they sad? Are they about to say something? And do they want to comment on somebody else? And now I can watch all of you. I have one minute left to close the show. We've been doing predictions, so we're not going to do a crystal ball prediction round because we've already done it. I cannot thank you enough, Chris Hadnegi, for coming back for part two. You and I met through your publisher about six months ago. You 
you were on my Monday night radio show, Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives. And I loved your topic so much. I've had you back here on Technology Revolution twice. And I appreciate that. Shelby Dacko, what a gift you are. What a lovely, wonderful, smart, talented person. And Shane, the lucky dad, but Shelby, you're lucky to have a smart dad like Shay. We'll just go both ways on that one. And Ryan McDougal, just keep sitting in cars with Chris and scaling walls and breaking in and being paid to be a human hacker and a social engineer and being brilliant. And I want to thank all of you. Thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer. Everybody hands together for Aaron, my engineer, for keeping us on. And thank you to LinkedIn for watching and viewing and listening and to Facebook as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my closing thought. If somebody tells you the future is already here, and by the way, panel, stay could take some pictures. If somebody tells you the future is already here. I want you to wag your finger. Everybody put your finger up. Shelby and Shane and there you go. Wag your finger and say, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.